his mind, there's much less of a distinction between entertainment and shopping. To them, the same brand often delivers both. That has lots of implications for how retailers should be presenting themselves. Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps marketers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs sell more effectively to the world's most powerful consumer, mums. Each fortnight, we bring you a deep diving interview with a marketing specialist from around the globe who can help you gain insights about this influential consumer. Let's hear from our host, Katrina McCarter. Hello, listeners. It's Katrina McCarter, your host. In today's episode, I speak with Michelle Porras, the VP of Smarty Pants, which is a leading youth and family research and consulting firm. Michelle and I got together to discuss key insights from the 2018 Brand Love Study and their implications for marketers. Now, this study highlights significant changes in marketing to families, and it shows the growing influence of children in family decision-making. Specifically, some of the kind of things that Michelle and I cover off in this episode include how brands will capitalise on key trends such as Fortnite, We talk about the growth in voice technology and specifically how kids and adults have different uses for voice technology. We discuss key changes in social media use within tweens. We talk about the increasing concerns over school safety and the growth in the popularity of gross toys. And finally, we talk about just how kids are driving the sustainability trend. Look, I've actually had the opportunity to see Michelle deliver these findings whilst I was in New York last year, and I was super impressed with the depth of their research findings. And I believe that they hold great opportunity for marketers, particularly those operating within the children's market. Now, I will say this interview was conducted on a phone, so the sound quality isn't superb, but I can assure you the content definitely is. Please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Oh, thank you, Katrina. It's a, it's a great pleasure to have you. Hey, listen, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how Smarty Pants is helping brands connect with mums and families? Yeah. So, as you mentioned, my background is in psychology. I'm a developmental psychologist. And with that background in child development, I have worked uh, primarily with kids and families throughout my career. Uh, after sort of switching to the market research world. Smarty Pants has been my home for over eight years, and we are a boutique research and strategic consulting firm. We work with clients across industries. You mentioned a few of them. Um, We work across many different categories to really help companies understand and meet the needs of kids, of parents, of grandparents, really anyone who touches the lives of youth and families, and certainly that includes moms. We do work that ranges from anything from understanding moms' motivations and spending habits, whether it comes to their kids' education or even their kids' juice boxes or their kids' toys or their kids' devices, really anything across the board, uh, lots of different categories and really helping brands understand those changing needs. 
absolutely. So it sounds like very, very extensive. Listen, we met doing a tech run early one morning when we were both speaking at the M2 Moms Conference in New York, I think back in October. And in your presentation, you highlighted some really thought-provoking research about kids and parents in your Brand Love 2018 study, which I'm actually really keen to discuss today. So just to kick things off, I was wondering if you can tell me a bit more about the Brand Love study and some of the findings that have come from it. Yeah, so the Brand Love Study is an annual research investigation that we do here at Smarty Pants in the U.S. We have 8,900 participants, and they are all parent-child pairs with kids aged 6 to 12. So most of the, the participants, well, most of the children participate with their mom, although the requirement for the adult participation is that they are the primary or shared shopper for kids in the household. And one little interesting tidbit, I know this is the Marketing to Moms podcast, but one interesting tidbit is that we have an increasing number of dads who qualify as the primary shopper in the home. So more and more dads are participating in the study as the representative parent, but the bulk of them are still mothers. Um, so we have uh, been we've been tracking over 350 brands. They're all brands that are kid and mom, kid and parent relevant. Any individual respondent gives us uh, answers to 15 brands. They're evaluating them on things like brand awareness, appeal, popularity, um, usage, various brand perceptions, and then we calculate a proprietary metric that we call either kidfinity for the child or parent affinity for the moms and dads, some of those key metrics, and that's a scale that is one of our key tracking variables and the basis for a lot of the trends that we identify. So we use that study to help us understand how the marketplace is changing, how consumer attitudes and um, experiences are changing, and we use that in conjunction with lots of our day-to-day in the field research in person with kids and families to kind of keep the big picture of what's going on in kids and family lives. So what I really loved about your study was how it had both the kids' perspective and mum and mum or dad's perspective. I really, I really, really loved that, and that's and that's what really attracted me to have this this discussion with you today. So what we're seeing is that kids are really having you know a much bigger influence on parents' buying behaviour now. You know, making um, kids of greater importance to brands um, wanting to influence mums and dads. And you noted some really significant changes in kids' behaviours over the last two years. Are you able to highlight and share some of those changes and the implications and opportunities this presents for brands? Absolutely. Uh, we have lots of interesting changes and trends to talk about. But just to point out a couple to start, one thing I can mention is in the retail space. So Amazon, for example, has been the number one brand for parents for three out of the past four years. And we see high scores for Amazon among kids, too. So it's not – I mean, I think we've all heard about Amazon, most of us, certainly here in America. And here in Australia. Amazon. <laughs> yes, exactly, very regularly. So we think of that, in my head anyway, I had thought of that as something that adults do. But in fact, it's a very popular brand among kids as well, especially tween girls, so the girls age 9 to 12. It's the number 57 brand for them. 
out of the 379 total brands we have in the study. So the kids themselves are really following in their parents' footsteps and relying on the brand not only to learn about products and create wish lists and think about what they might ask for, um, but also as an entertainment brand. Remember, so many of them equate Amazon not only with shopping, but also with video. So in kids' minds, there's much less of a distinction today between entertainment and shopping. Those to them, you know, the same brand often delivers both. And so that has lots of implications for how brands are communicating with consumers, how retailers should be presenting themselves. Um, even when families shop in store, there's really an increasing expectation that that experience is going to be immersive and fun and entertaining, not just for kids, but for parents as well. Wow, it's absolutely fascinating. Listen, one of the questions I've got to ask you uh, when we're talking kids, I just don't think that we can't avoid the word fortnight. I've actually got a 13-year-old boy who, uh, and I completely feel uh, this as a pain point of, of a, as being a parent who's managing a child who just loves fortnight. Can you tell us a little bit about what your research has uncovered about fortnight and how brands uh, are actually looking to capitalise on this trend? Yes, and I have two boys as well, and my 14-year-old is also completely obsessed, and yep. Fortnite is sort of the uh, the theme of my existence. When yeah, I'm absolutely. I love hate relationship. Yeah. <laughs> love hate relationship with that year. So this is the first year that we included the brand in the study because it's an annual study. We only do it once a year. It didn't even really exist, or at least nobody was aware of it the previous year. In its debut in the study, among tween boys, so in our study, again, that's age 9 to 12, the highest we go up to, the Fortnite was number uh, 76 in terms of kidfinity. But when we look at some of our other metrics, well, first of all, I should say it was number 76. I can only imagine that it's going to jump and continue to get higher and higher because every month we hear that you know millions of new players have been added. So I imagine that the numbers will be dramatically higher next year, but also some of the brand perceptions of those kids aware of Fortnite, which is practically all of them, are very interesting to me. So social is, is one of the, I think I mentioned earlier, we have a number of different attributes that our respondents rate brands on, and one of them is social. And Fortnite is one of the top brands on that, as well as another similar metric, something you'd use with friends. And so the way the kids are playing this game in duos and quads and squads, they're connected with friends while they play, virtually connected because they're not actually in the same room or even in the same city necessarily. All of that really has fed into that Fortnite craze. And what's happened is that kids, with or without their families, are spending time doing Fortnite instead of the other things that they have traditionally spent their time doing. So the more time they spend on Fortnite, the less time they're spending watching TV, playing board games, say, watching movies or having movie nights with their families. And so that time away from their maybe more historical activities is really having an impact potentially on how we need to communicate with kids and how we need to be addressing them and where we need to be reaching them. So, for example, if a kid who's playing Fortnite all the time is just watching less television, well, that same kid who watches Fortnite is also, or who plays Fortnite, rather, is watching YouTube channels 
featuring Fortnite players like Ninja and many others who have really capitalized on the success of the game. Absolutely. So those are lots of new sort of digital marketing or advertising opportunities to think about. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that some more traditional companies like Hasbro, for example, have partnered with Fortnite and licensed the brand and they have new products coming out like Nerf Fortnite Blasters, which make a lot of sense, as well as a Monopoly Fortnite game. Wow. Okay. And so we should expect to see these this Christmas season? I think those are a 2019 release, but uh, you will be seeing them on the shelf soon. Right, okay. And just for our listeners, if they're not aware of what Fortnite is, it's a game that is very, very popular between boys, probably aged from about 9 through to to 16 in, in particular. That's really, really interesting insights. I find that when my child is not actually playing it, he's watching YouTube videos on how to play it better. So, yeah, I, I think you've picked up on a really interesting insight there, Michelle. Before we continue with the podcast episode, I want to tell you about our podcast sponsor, Cooperate. Cooperate is a powerful marketing technology platform that allows marketers to visualize your brand's customer journey, deliver great content at each stage of that journey, and see how it all performs, all managed from one centralized location. Cooperate has been built by marketers for marketers. I've actually had the opportunity to see the platform in action and I genuinely think it's worth taking a look at if you're a marketer managing large brands which want to attract more mums. Now let's head back to the podcast. I just wanted to change tack a little here and I wanted to ask you about voice technology. Uh, We're seeing it really being embraced by family households, you know, right across the world. Can you share what your brand love study uncovered about the use of voice technology and how marketers might be able to harness its use in a a strategy? Yes. So smart speakers are definitely a growing presence here in the U.S. and, and certainly I'm sure around the world. In our study, we had 46% of kids tell us that they use a smart speaker, just huge for something that, you know, practically didn't exist four or five years ago, right? It's a brand new product and category. And we see affinity from both kids and parents for specific smart speaker brands rising dramatically. So uh, Amazon Echo and Google Home, for example, have double-digit growth in our kidfinity and parentfinity scores. And in fact, Google Home had the second largest growth of any brand in the study year over year. So for the 2018 study as compared to 2017, Google Home increased kidfinity by, I think, 82 points, which is really enormous. And as I said, the the second largest growth. And then we also included Apple's HomePod in the study this this year. This was the the first time we included that, and and that scored very well also. So all three of those smart speaker brands really have high confinity and parent affinity. And we see marketers developing content specifically for kids who use smart speakers. That content, by the way, is often called skills. So you would talk about, you know, the Echo's things that are available on the Echo. So, for example, Nickelodeon has 
a SpongeBob challenge. It's like a memory game. And Disney has a Mickey Mouse adventure, which is more of a, a navigation race around the clock kind of thing. But there's tons of different skills or, or content really designed for kids. So choose your own adventure stories, uh, trivia, podcasts that are just for kids. My family likes Mars Patel, if you've heard of that. It's a, it's a great podcast. Books being read out loud. Just many, many other potential ways to engage with kids. But the flip side of that, some parents are kind of anxious about whether the kids are going to be exposed to inappropriate content. There's concerns about privacy because there's stories of Amazon Echoes getting hacked and then being used for sort of nefarious snooping purposes and, and people are worried about their kids' privacy. And then there's also larger questions about kids' interactions with smart speakers and what that means for social skill development and cognitive development and, you know, all kinds of things can really have an impact when you're not communicating with a person, but you're communicating with a device in that way. So marketers are really using and embracing voice technology as a new media platform and a new distribution channel. You know, for some, it's really becoming part of their brand's digital strategy and it's a new way to, to or, or it's a new touch point to engage with consumers, but being sensitive to privacy concerns and, and child development questions can really help differentiate a brand and, and, and make them stand out to families. Mm, really interesting. I just wanted to ask you on, on that. Is that is that drive and interest for the voice technology, is that being led by the kids or by the parents? Because certainly in my household, I am being lobbied by my three all the time to actually get one of these in the house. That's interesting. I, I don't know the answer to, you know, who's driving it exactly, but I can say that they're using it in very different ways. Mm. So parents might be using it for their shopping list or, you know, as an organizational device, sort of as a as something that can help with the household. And kids, I think, see it as more of an entertainment device. So to that extent, when kids are asking for Alexa or, you know, or, or for Google Home or, or whatever it might be, it's often because they see it as yet another entertainment opportunity. Mm, interesting. Uh, I, I like that perspective. Now, listen, turning to social media, I've got teenagers, they're avid users of both Instagram and Snapchat. However, I found in your research that there's a real change now in in kids' social media preferences that's happened over the last kind of 12 to 24 months. And I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about this change and what it might mean for brands wanting to actually engage with families. Yeah, so both Instagram and Snapchat are certainly popular. But what was happening up until this year is that Snapchat was really pulling ahead while Instagram just was kind of lagging behind. But this year we saw a flip. So now usage is actually equal. 56% of kids say they use Snapchat, 55% say they use Instagram. So essentially that's tied. But the difference is, is that that number for Snapchat is completely flat versus last year. Well, for Instagram, that's up about seven or eight percentage points. Yeah, it was 47% last year for Instagram. So Instagram rose from 47 to 55% of kids 6 to 12 using that brand or platform, rather. And that really speaks to some frustration that users were having with Snapchat. So kids were kind of annoyed with the redesign and the way that stories were happening and things like that. And in the meantime, uh, Instagram made a lot of changes to its platform and offered more 
sort of Snapchat-esque features, things like direct messaging and, you know, other new filters and things like that, that made Instagram more attractive during a time, you know, that Snapchat was, was less enticing and less appealing. So kids have turned to Instagram or in some cases turned back to Instagram if they were using it formerly. And by the way, for all social media platforms, I should mention that tween girls are the biggest users. So I I said 55% of all kids use Instagram, 70% of tween girls use Instagram, and they're the highest users of Snapchat as well. So kids are using social media, no question, but there's definitely a, a, a spike for those girls 9 to 12. And then in terms of what it means for brands, I think it's just important for brands to really stay on top of kids' social media usage. It's really fickle and clearly changes. I don't think kids are maybe as platform loyal as their parents who've sort of stuck with Facebook a bit longer. And so it's important to kind of keep on top of that and regularly, regularly refresh a social media strategy. And if you are thinking about tapping into kids' use of Instagram, there are so many highly influential Instagrammers. Same for YouTube as well, but on Instagram, there are just so many sort of Instagram celebrities who really appeal to kids and resonate with kids, and that's a great forum and opportunity for connecting with kids as well. Mm. And also, I guess, fairly alarming that we've got that many kids. So all the people in your study are under 12 that are actually using Instagram and and Snapchat. Yeah, I'm age 6 to 12. Need some help attracting more mums to your brand or business? Marketing to Mums can help you. This marketing and research consultancy founded by your podcast host, Katrina McCarter, can assist you. Marketing to Mums can identify gaps and unmet opportunities, undertake research to determine who your most profitable mum segment is, and help you create a strategy to gain a commercial advantage in the marketplace. Email hello at marketingtomums.com.au to find out more. talk a little bit about school safety. It seems it's a really increasing uh, area of concern for parents and I know that your research explored this and I wanted to I guess tap into and understand what your research found and how brands might actually be able to support parents in, in a really kind of authentic way. Yeah as you know this is a huge issue here in the United States with this yet another massacre just today in Los Angeles, not at a school, but among college students. And it's just horrendous. And uh, kids are aware and reacting. So first of all, they, they hear what's going on in the news. I think at one point in time, it might have been, you know, parents might have tried to protect their kids from this knowledge when these tragedies were perhaps happening with a little bit less frequency, but with so many school-based shootings, there's just simply no way to keep kids ignorant of what's going on. And in fact, 95% of public schools in the U.S. now have shooter lockdown drills to sort of help prepare the kids and the educators for a potential crisis. So that's critically important in in being prepared and, and keeping children safe, but even those drills themselves can be traumatizing 
to kids and, and, and teachers for that matter. And, and so the kids are feeling fear not only when they hear news of another horrific event, but even when they are trying to prepare themselves and, and be safe, like even that can be traumatizing. And then parents are really struggling too with, you know, first of all, being worried about their kids' safety, but secondly, how to even talk to their kids about these events and school safety and, and sort of what they should be saying and doing to support their kids. It's, it's really uncharted territory for families today to, to figure these things out. And so one thing that we've noticed is that kids themselves are becoming very active. This is really, some some kids 6 to 12, this isn't so much from our study as much as from what we hear in our more qualitative research with families. But we hear a lot about kids themselves, both sort of younger as well as teenagers, doing lots of sort of social and political activism to try to help prevent gun violence across the country and in their schools specifically. It's very, very top of mind. And we hear about increased sales of things like bulletproof doors and shatterproof glass, but also consumer products that provide protection, things like bulletproof backpacks that can help kids feel secure. And in reality, is a bulletproof backpack really going to protect a child if there is, you know, a horrible shooting? I'm not sure, but I think it helps parents and helps kids feel better and feel prepared when they have something like that that can kind of at least mentally provide some support for them. So families are really in need of information and guidance and support to help them navigate this really emotionally charged and, and very scary landscape. And, and parents are looking for for brands and other sources that can really help them help their kids. So if it's products that, you know, help them safeguard their kids or help their kids feel safe or, or digital tools that might help with um, notifications or help empower their kids, you know, anything that can do that without creating more fear is going to really connect with families. And then the other thing is that during this setting time, kids need safety and stability and comfort and security, and they also need to focus on the positive. So we've seen more stories with happy endings appealing to kids or, you know, things that let them laugh and escape and, and just be kids and, and get away from some of this tragedy and just kind of celebrate the everyday happiness of being a child. Listen, thanks very much for sharing that, Michelle. It is a really horrific situation that's, that's increasingly happening. And I think you've given some really interesting ways for brands to think about how they might be able to provide some support to parents. I want to talk about toilet talk now on a lighter note. The number two has always been quite funny to the kids. However, I noticed that we're seeing some brands harness this growing interest in the number two. And I understand that uh, we've seen a number of number two toys are coming onto the market that are really attracting a lot of interest amongst kids. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about that because I know that you had some really interesting findings there in the Brand Love study. Yes, and I think this really leads directly out of what we were just talking about. So in a time where there's so much uncertainty and, and, and so much fear, number two, poop, can really provide a very silly and fun escape. 
so as you know, heavy and serious as kids' worlds have become, there's there's a capacity for joy and for delight and for silliness and for grossness. And, you know, for better or for worse, Poop has delivered on providing that kind of fun and escape. So there's all kinds of examples of how Poop is in the spotlight right now. So first it was the Poop emoji, and that got play everywhere. In fact, my husband just wore a Poop emoji hat for Halloween, much to uh, (laughs) my personal horror, but to my kids' delight. So there's a poop emoji that is lots, you know, super popular. But there's also countless potty-themed toys and games. So I'll give you a few examples that are that are fairly new. One is a game called Flush and Frenzy from Mattel. And for that one, kids get a toilet and a plunger, and they have to keep plunging the toilet until this, like, smiling <laughs> character flies out of the tank. Right. Also, and then, I just sounds fun, right? Uh, then Hasbro has a game called Don't Step In It, where kids walk blindfolded across a mat, and they try not to step in this, like, brown clay that's molded into the shape of poop. So they're trying to avoid stepping in it when they have a blindfold on. And there's lots of others. There's a, a whole line of figures based on a YouTube cartoon that's called Poopies, and those characters have names like Little Squirt and Mark and, you know, similar, very silly, poop-related names and characters. There's a new collectibles line from Spin Master called Flush Force. That one, too, that there's, like, these little mutant characters that, that pop or emerge out of a little small plastic toilet. So you have to fill it with water. It's kind of interactive. You fill it with water, and then this little character pops out. So that's Flush Force. And that brand, by the way, uh, is a new brand that we included in the study this year, and it did as well on Kidfinity as some far more established brands, like other collectibles that have been around a long time, like Little Pet Shop and Beyblade and Num Nums and even Disney Princess. It was kind of compatible overall among all, total kids 6 to 12 with those kind of brands. And I should also mention it's not just poop. Poop is the the biggest example, but this kind of growth trend is also being seen in uh, thinking about gas. So there's games like Mattel's Gas Out and Gassy Dust and What's That Smell? And there's also a snot game. So there's like a a game called Snotted, I think, that has these wearable masks that there's like noses that you put on that are trying to capture snot and other ones about pimples. Um, and all of those are, are games, but then there's also apps that are capitalizing on this, too. So there's, there's kind of your, your classic app games, like Endless Runner games and other categories like that. But now, instead of being Temple Run, it's Poop Run. And there's Booger Balls, and there's Puke Simulator, and Temple Popper, and, you know, all kinds of similar apps that you can engage in digitally, not just playing these other games that I had mentioned. So all of these are, you know, kind of good, I don't know if I want to say clean fun, (laughs) maybe they're not clean, but, you know, irreverent, silly fun that provides kind of an innocence, honestly, and in this really challenging and stressful emotional time, it's really an escape and a chance for kids to, to really just get to be kids. Yeah, interesting. So a really, really strong trend towards the growth game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So listen, another yeah. another growing trend that we're really seeing amongst both kids and parents is sustainability. 
mums are increasingly wanting to purchase from brands that actually stand for something. Did your study uncover anything to support or maybe discredit this growing trend? Yes. So you mentioned, I think, that that moms are looking to purchase from brands who stand for something, and we do see a lot of interest from kids as well. In this age range, 6 to 12, it's really more about caring for the environment. So we hear a lot about teenagers really looking for brands that stand for something, and there it could be more of a brand identity that could have other connections and may have other uh, other sort of social justice components to them. But for kids, it really is about the environment and the world. So we see a lot of kids-led campaigns or, or kids involved with campaigns to, for example, reduce single-use plastics, like, like straws in particular. And in fact, I believe some of those originated in Australia. There's a campaign called Last Straw that I think is Australian-based. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, we've also just banned single-use shopping bags as well. Yeah. Yeah, so you're really ahead of the game because here it's happening more on a local basis, community by community, and a lot of kids are really behind that push to get their city or their town to ban plastic bags or ban straws or at least get restaurants to reduce distribution of straws. So kids are definitely noticing when their towns and and restaurants are doing that. And we also are, in our study, we've asked kids sort of which brands are most associated with doing things that are good for the environment or good for the world. And what was interesting in this study anyway is that both kids and parents are giving a lot of credit to media and in in particular, rather, Animal Planet. So Animal Planet has a lot of shows, like Ocean Warriors, for example, that have an association with having a positive impact on wildlife or on sea creatures and bringing people's attention to what's going on and and truly making a difference. And kids are recognizing that. More qualitatively, we hear a lot about Lego and the switch that Lego is making for some of their products to be made from plants plant-based sources rather than, you know, traditional plastics and, and other brands too, like uh, Adidas is on kids' radar because Adidas is, is doing a lot of partnerships with environmental groups to develop products from that big pile of plastic in the ocean, that giant plastic, yeah. I don't know what it's called, the plastic pile, I guess, but from all those pounds of plastic that are polluting the ocean, Adidas is actually trying to make uh, new products with that material and, in fact, is committed to recycling or making all products out of recycled or reused material in the next few years. And those kinds of things are are on families' radar because we really see families and and kids in particular, you know, wanting brands and companies to be their partners. It's an easy way for them to feel like they're making a difference and they do, kids do notice that and moms notice that as well. I really notice, have noticed that in my own kids. A lot of the sustainability practices and, and things that we're now looking at in our household are very much being driven by, by the kids, and they're hearing that a lot from school as well. Yes. Yeah. A lot of these initiatives are happening in school, sometimes because kids bring it up to teachers, sometimes, sometimes because teachers you know, introduce it to kids, but a lot of that change is starting at school and then trickling home where parents are paying attention. I mean, who's not going to agree when their kid wants to do something good for the world, right? It's often uh, really uh, rewarding and, you know, it's kind of a feel good for parents when they hear their kids express interest in making these changes. So when a brand can say it's, you know, eliminating packaging or or doing something to help reduce consumer waste or or using more 
sustainable packaging or, you know, encouraging recycling or, or upcycling, you know, anytime a brand can kind of point to specific concrete efforts it's making, I think kids are noticing and it's making a difference and helping brands differentiate from competitors. Absolutely. I had to go and buy something recently with my 11-year-old and she was very clear about one particular brand that we had to avoid because uh, because of their practices, her, uh, their unethical practices, as she told me. And I was shocked that she yeah. actually noticed, was aware and had a really strong opinion on it. Michelle, I just wanted to thank you in terms of sharing some of the insights from the Brand Love Study. I just love how it's got both the the child's perspective and the parent's perspective. I'm loving the work that you're doing at Smarty Pants. If some of our listeners were wanting to get in contact with you or find out more about the Brand Love Study, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, we have a website, of course. So that is www.ask.com smartypants.com so it has ask at the beginning and then smartypants.com and you can contact me through there or just reach out to the company and of course we have Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. But starting with the website is probably the best bet. That's fantastic and for all our listeners I'll make sure that they're included in or those links are included in the show notes for you as well. Michelle it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this brand love study. Thank you for being part of Marketing to Mums the podcast. It is my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I love how the Brand Love Study looks at the brands from two different perspectives. Michelle was really able to draw out some great insights and identify some really interesting trends, particularly highlighting the increasing influence kids have over parents' purchase decisions. As marketers, I challenge you to consider how this might impact your brand in the future. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps you drive sales and profit in your organization by developing a deeper understanding of the world's most powerful consumer, mums. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review and tell us what your key takeaway was or who your favorite guest was and why. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or any of the links mentioned, all you need to do is head to marketingtomums.com.au forward slash podcast. Don't forget to sign up to receive an email to let you know when the next episode is released. Thanks for listening.